No ordinary people at all. There isn't just, oh, that common guy who's there just haphazardly. Or that girl, oh, just a human being taking up some space. That's not true. There are no ordinary people. There's a lot of weight in that statement. Personally, it's okay to be able to take that and to hold on to it. And as I've said in the past weeks to perhaps even look at yourself in the mirror when you're getting ready in the morning or when you're getting ready to go and work out or to go and have some fun, to stop for a moment, look and say, that applies to me. I'm not ordinary. I'm unique. And we know we're unique because God created us in his image. We are creating the image of God. Imago Dei. Nothing else. Nothing else was created in the image of God. He did a bunch of amazing things. But he didn't say, I want to make man and woman in my own image. That's a big deal. So, um, last couple of weeks, this is what we've been covering with this fact that we are unique. With this fact that we are creating the image of God. Week one, we cover this. That many times we live life under this second persona. Remember, we, were, we, we read this uh, a portion of an article by a Washington Post reporter by the name of Meg Greenfield. And she says that many times in life, we are building up the second persona, kind of like what happens in high school and you're trying to find your place and you want to hang out with the guys who do sports. So you kind of take that on and you hang, want to hang around with the popular girls perhaps, or maybe you're the really studious kind, wherever it falls. But it says that many times in high school, we're looking for an identity. And many times as we get out of that high school phase, we tend to Try and keep up with a second persona. What does culture say I should be right now? This age, this demographic, what does culture say? So we tend to sometimes play up to that. What are my friends on Facebook doing? Because I kind of feel like I should be doing a little bit like them because if not, I'll feel out of place. So many times we live this second persona and Meg Greenfield says that that's a, very serious form of hypocrisy. This isn't who you were created to be, but this is who you think will please others. And that gets very burdensome after a while because you're not living who you were designed to be. So we had an example of how Michelangelo um, chiseled the David out of a 18-foot piece of marble. He chiseled and he worked at it. And when this beautiful work of art came out, he said it was always there. I just had to get rid of some stuff. And that's what God is doing in our lives. He's trying to set us free from the weights and the expectations and the lies and the anxieties that we've told ourselves or that have been told about us. And he says, I came to set you free in Luke chapter four, verse 18. And you know what that allows us to do? To breathe, to be who you were designed to be. That's good. Week two. We spoke about the theory of compensation, a psychologist by the name of um, Alfred Adler says that uh, perceived disadvantages many times can actually be advantages. Or another way to say it is that these things that we see in our lives as setbacks can actually be set ups. 
and we saw the life of this little boy, right, by the name of David, the smallest and youngest of all of his brothers, all he did was tend some sheep. And it seems that when he was overlooked for many things, that those setbacks were really set ups because we learn of this infamous story, right, of this little kid going and picking up some stones and killing a giant. And it turns out to be that he is actually being set up through this process. So what are perceived disadvantages in your life right now? Relationally or physically or financially or maybe it's a combination of all those. This is what God says. He says, have hope. Because those setbacks, those apparent disadvantages are seasons. Seasons for what? To prepare us for what is to come. How come we don't have 82,000 people here this morning? I believe that we're in a season. The God's building me up as a leader. He's building you up to be able to do this horizontally. Why don't you yet have that, that dream that is such, so heavy on your heart? Is it possible that he's working on you to set you up because he doesn't put his children, his daughters and his sons in a place to fail? Think about how good that is. I don't want you to fail, so I'm going to put you through this season, which perhaps right now seems a little bit unpleasant, but I'm building it up. I'm building you up inside. I'm setting you up for success. And then last week, finally, we spoke about memory management. And I shared with you guys that I had read um, a report um, that was in the American uh, Medical Journal by a doctor. His last name is um, Penfield. Um, and he did some research with 1,200 plus uh, patients, and he discovered that we have some things in our brains that are called engrams. And the way an engram works basically is that when we see an image over and over, or we hear a song, or we do a task over and over that an engram starts to develop in our cerebral cortex. And basically what it does is it etches a line in our cerebral cortex. And the deeper the emotion, the deeper the etch is. So we're talking about things that we tend to hold on to memories, especially heavy things on our hearts where we've been hurt or these unrealized dreams or these setbacks. And many times unknowingly we tend to make those our identity. You are introduced to somebody, you put your hand out and you're like, Hey, I'm Polio. And let me tell you about all the garbage in my life. And this is who I am. And we're learning that what God's doing in our lives is he's healing and he's restoring. And in a way, He's saying, there is so much that I have for you. Learn to delete those bad memories. Those aren't your identity. Because what's your identity? As a child of God, right? Because we've been adopted into his family. And he says, learn to do some file management, if you will. Delete some of that bad stuff. What if we learn to program ourselves and bask in the blessings? I'm not blessed. I don't have anything to be Hope for, thankful for. Yeah, you do. I mean, you got here this morning. You walked here. You rollerbladed here, maybe. You drove here. All of those in itself are a blessing that you are here sitting, no matter how chaotic life would be, and that God would have you this morning listening to his word. Blessing in itself. That you have a job. Maybe it's not your ideal job, but you have a job. 
It's terrible and my boss is a jerk and I wish he paid me a whole bunch more. Sure, you have a job. You have a home you can go to and you can open up the fridge and say, not this, not this, not, yes. Or, you know what, I'm just going to go out. Blessed. We're blessed tremendously. And we've got to learn to delete all that stuff. That's not your identity. The lack of relationship that you so want, that's not your identity. The hurt that was caused to you in your upbringing, which I'm sorry because I know there is a lot of hurt, that's not your identity. He says, you want to know what your identity is? You're my daughter and I gave my life for you. That's how important you are. And if we don't hit refresh often and go back to that truth, we will forget it. That's just how we are as human beings. We just tend to forget the things we should remember and we remember the things we should tend to forget. So what are we doing today with week four? Week four, we're going to talk about how in us being masterpieces, in God creating in us something new, like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we're going to learn about how important it is to slay the dragon of self. Quick encouragement and even challenge for all of us before I get here. This message, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to do what it needs to do, you're going to reject it from the beginning. You're going to say, no, it's not for you, but I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. That's how we are. We get defensive automatically. No, not me. Let it soak in. Grab it with imagination and faith, right? We get our, 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 our heads out of the basement of tangible, I want to feel, smell, and test, and then I'll believe. Get our heads out of that basement. Let it come up to the, to the top floors of the house. Let the sunlight come in through the windows and grab it with imagination and with faith. That's my encouragement for what we're going to um, speak about today from God's word. So we're going to learn to slay the dragon of self. Here goes. One of the biggest things that we might tend and want to kick back at. Discovering our destiny has to become secondary to the person that Christ wants us to become in the process. You have a dream or dreams that are unrealized right now. I guarantee, guarantee that there are some things that you've been holding on to for such a long time and they're beautiful things, they're good things. But if those become our priority, then we will miss discovering who we were meant to be. Let me put it another way. The process is more important than getting there then the final I have arrived let me give you a sports analogy there's a head coach for Alabama his name is Nick Saban great coach and this is what he says to his team he says don't be obsessed about the winning he says, be obsessed about the process because he believes that if you obsess about the process, that that will develop you and set you up for winning and that winning will not be the priority because what happens if you don't win? You set yourself up for failure. But there are so many things that you learn in the process. Does that make sense? 
He says, if all you want is the win, then the entire journey to the win is going to be worthless. And Christ says to us, I am working on you chiseling and chipping away. And the process is so important because in the process, you ready? He wants you and me to become more like him. I want David and Eileen to become more like Poya and I. Minus the bad stuff, right? But I want when people to look at them to say, look, they're kids who are res- uh, what? respectable? Respectful. Respectful. I want kids who, to people to look at them and say, those kids are loving. They put the needs of others before themselves. They are generous. They're kind and they're patient. Those are my dreams. I don't want, I would not like for people to look at them and say, they are a piece of junk, just like their dad. Their dad's a piece of junk. Here's where I'm going. God, our Holy Father, to a daughter and to a son. He says, I want you to look more like me. And there's a process. And I want to get you there. And I'm always holding you from your right hand. And I never let you go. Isaiah 41.10. Never let you go. I am with you right here, right now. Never cosmic, never distant. And I want you to learn to love more in the process. And if I haven't given you this yet, trust my timing. And I want you to learn to be generous. And I want you to learn to be self-controlled. And instead of blowing up, I want you to breathe in. And instead of being so judgmental, I want you to lay that down. And instead of thinking that it's all about you, I want you to make it all about me. There's a process. I want that dream, those dreams that I have, and I'm sure you do too. He says, don't, don't, don't dismiss the season because I'm at work. So what are some of the things that you desire more than anything? This is kind of like a introspective question. What are some things that are on your heart, in your mind? They're beautiful things. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. But they become dangerous when that is priority over God, your creator, your father, the lover of your soul. What are some of the things, maybe there's something for you to write down. Many times we need to write something down to let it process a little bit more. Maybe more than just a thought. It's up to you. But what are some of the things that you're like, that's what I really desire. That's what I would like right now in this season of life. Here's what we need to remember is that the author, capital A, of that dream and that desire has put that in you. That's good. But he is greater than the actual dream and the desire. He cannot be seen as a means to an end. I would never want my kids to say... I only smile at daddy because I know that if I don't, I might not get dinner. I would feel used. I want them to say he loves me deeply and cares and would do anything for me. 
so that relationship is superior to me getting my dinner. That's what Jesus says to us today. I'm the author. I gave you that. But I want to be top tier. Not competing with something else. Not with that relationship. Not with that career. Not with that financial bracket. Not with that personal goal. Whatever it might be. He's like, I'm God. Those things are not God. I lay down my life for you. They did not. I have forgiven all of your sins. That does not. I will never fail you. That will not. Everything fades away. Everything. And it's important that we often do self-checks right here in our hearts. That as we're pursuing hard many times, that dream and that desire, that we put life on pause and we do a self-check. What's my ultimate motivation? Me, me, me? Or giving glory to God that in the process he is teaching me, healing me, showing me, making me more like him, making me die to some stuff that I know is not okay? What's more important? He says, I am. Because I am the Lord, your God. And I want to give you that thing. But there's a process for you to be able to grasp and grab We've been looking at the life of David and we learn in 1 Samuel chapter 24 verses 5 through 7. This is a great thing to write down. You download your Bible app if you haven't or you go home and you open a Bible if you, op- if you own one or if not, you get online. And you check this out. You read this on your own. You don't let Poyo just spoon feed you. We start to develop, right? Poya sometimes takes care of a, a neighbor's uh, six-month-old baby. All she can do right now is spoon feed her. But if Poya's looking out for her in a year or two years, then she's going to evolve. And we should too as children of God. It's not just Poya feeding us on Sunday mornings. It's, I'm checking this out because it's healthy for me. This is God's living word. So here we go. So we know the infamous story about David, right? We just covered it a couple weeks ago. We covered it a little bit earlier. The infamous story grabs the stones, kills the giant, He becomes famous, right? Well, in becoming famous, the guy who was king at that point, Saul, becomes very jealous because everybody loves David and the girls in the city literally go out in the streets and they they sing chants for David and he's a good-looking guy and he's strong and buff and warrior, kind of like some of you guys. And, And the current king, Saul, gets jealous And what does he do? He literally goes out and pursues him to kill him. His jealousy drives him to that. So where where do we find in the story that David slays self, his desires? Well, there's there's a part in this whole narrative where David is hiding out in a cave with a handful of his warriors running away from the king. And he sees that in the very king that they're hiding out, that... Saul and his team who are looking for David has stopped there for a break. And David has an opportunity without a huge fight to slash his throat, get out of there, become king. And David, it says that his conscience spoke to him. You know what I mean, right? Here, here. And David says, no, if I kill the king, I know this will 
get rid of the process that God is trying to build up in this. Killing the king is illegal. If I kill him, then I'm getting it my way. I forced it. I pushed that square peg into the circle hole and I forced it in there. But David says, there's a process. And it says that he withheld from killing Saul. So, here's where we have to, again, be introspective. Are there things in your life right now that you are self-manufacturing? That you are jumping through certain hoops, creating an opportunity rather than saying, God, I believe that the process is here already and now it's my job to trust you and take the next step. If we see our hands and our fingerprints on something more than God's, then we're probably manufacturing it. And the flip side of that is things that we self-manufacture negate God's blessing. That's scary. But we try so much with all of our might, with all of our power. I want that and I would prefer to not wait. And that's just how we are, right? This isn't easy. Me standing up here sharing this stuff, I struggle with it every day. But I hear God saying, there's a season. Trust me. I want you to be more like me, Poyo. I want you to do things not for you, Poyo, but for me. And when people ask how and why, you'll say, well, God made it happen. For months and months and months, we look for a place to meet love and emotion so we can get out of our out of our um, living room. And it was until I gave up, and I said, God, what are you doing in this? That he provided a place that I never, ever would have knocked on the door. And after he did that, he brought somebody from the outside to say, not only did I already provide, but I'm going to bring somebody to pay for a full year's of rent. His hand is all over that. I am not strategic or smart enough to have organized, planned that. His fingerprints are all over it. And you see how I can stand up here today and give glory to his name? That's what he wants for your life. This happened not because I pushed so hard and because I'm so smart and so strategic. But it happened because I trusted the season. Not easy. But I trusted the season. I gave up in a sense. And I said, God, you, not me. Slay the dragon of self. Slay the dragon of self-significance. There's a writer by the name of uh, Tolkien, and he says that when we know there is a living dragon, he says we should slay that dragon immediately. Don't let the dragon creep up. Oh, I can control. No, we can't. We can't. And just because it smells, feels, and looks like an opportunity from God doesn't necessarily mean it is. Here's where I'm going. Back to the story in the cave. David's got his people, right? They're all warriors. Saul is in the cave by himself. And all of his warriors say, there's Saul. Kill him. Take the opportunity. Sometimes we surround ourselves with people who will only tickle our ears and tell us what we want them to tell us. But it's not at all aligned with God's word. So just because it smells and feels like an opportunity does not necessarily mean it is. So what does this mean? How do we make a decision? We sit down like this with somebody across from you. You call, you text, you guide everything by the gauge of God's word. What does God say about this? 
You're about to pull the trigger on a decision. Say, hold on. We have to learn, I think, to say, hold on. Let me think about that. And in that thinking, there's a, hey, give me some counsel. Give me some wisdom. And there's a, let me open up the word of God. What, what would God say about that? The ultimate authority, right? The word of God is, a, is an anvil that comes and smashes your opinion and my opinion. We don't like to hear that though. His friends are like, right now, this is an opportunity. If I'm not mistaken, they literally say, look how God has placed him in your hand. Kill him. David says, wait a minute. He is a current king. I would be getting what I want, what I desire, the throne, but I'd be doing it in a way manufactured by me. I can almost guarantee that God's blessing would not have been on that. All right. Let me give us some hope. All right? We need to get this often because life is hard and tough and we're drained from life many times more than not. Here's the hope is that what God wants to give you, He is going to give you. No one or anything can take that away from you. Me saying that almost gives me chills to know that what God wants to give me a his son, he's going to give me that there is no power in heaven or on earth that can detain the God of ha- the, the God's hand. Nothing. Guess what that gives me? Freedom and peace to trust the season. The one who spoke and divided darkness and light says, I have something very good for you and nothing can take it away from you. Not time, not a person, not somebody else's words. That allows us to say, man, he's looking out for me and I have hope. And by his grace, it's coming. So this is what it practically allows us to do, all right? To stop competing. Many times that competition gets us in trouble. Well, I want to go so far and so fast and so bad that I do whatever I need to get ahead we're pushing people out of the place and we're backstabbing people and we're back and we're talking bad about people and we're creating all this thing. Why? Because you want to self-manufacture that opportunity. So knowing that what God has to give you, he will give you and nothing can stop it gives us peace and freedom. Number two, it allows us to stop comparing ourselves. I think this is huge in our culture. How come they do and I don't? Are they so much better? If Does God not know really what I know? Because if God knew, then he wouldn't. It gives us peace to say, wait a minute. He's going to give me what he's going to give me and nothing can take it away. No need of comparison because comparison is really just flattering our ego, right? It just builds us up. Comparison is all about us. It makes me feel good when I say not really as good as people think. Not really as smart. Not really as wise. It's just personal. It's just ego. I feel good when I say that. Many times we don't even say it to that person. It's a whole nother issue. 
And number three, he never fails. He doesn't. Period. So here's how I finish up practically. How do we do this? How do we slay the dragon of self? How do we slay the dragon of significance? How do we slay the dragon of going 100 miles per hour to create our own and self-manufacture our opportunities? Here's a practical way. Take a deep breath. I literally mean that. Take a deep breath. Step back. Let go, perhaps, of something that you wake up in the morning and you're on it. Let go of something that perhaps at lunchtime, as soon as you get a little break, you're on it. Let go of perhaps whatever that thing is at night that before you put your head on the pillow, you have Let go of it for a second. That might be deleting an app. That might be getting off of your computer. That might be stopping to think about it on and on and on and on. What does it look like for you? I don't know. A variety of ways. But let go of it. Rest. Take it off of your shoulders because you're not meant to carry that load and neither am I. Because I'm weak. It'll get burdensome. I'll start to huff and puff really quickly. And then my body starts to show evidence of it. Anxiety and worries and comparison to why. Let go. I'm trusting the season that I'm in. And you want it real, as practical as we get. You ready? Pray. No, boy, I'm just going to do wishful thinking. I don't even know what to say to that. We haven't learned to surrender yet if we can't pray and say, Jesus, help me. That's it. Daddy, Jesus, help me. Take this burden away from me. Give me wisdom. Open up that opportunity because I really desire it. That's it. Amen. I'm done. You're out jogging. Jesus, you're awesome. Thanks for loving me. Pray. Practically, pray. Doesn't get more practical than that. A conversation. You don't have to suit up, dress up, put makeup on. You don't have to do anything. You come as you are. You approach him boldly because he's your dad. My kids have never gone, have never had to go and brush their teeth before they come and ask me for something. They have never had to go and change out of their PJs before they come and ask me for something. They have never said my life is perfect and they come and talk to me. As you are. He says, you're my son. I know everything about you. Those intimate things that you keep away from everybody else, I know them and I love you. Nothing separates me from you. My love keeps going and going and going and going. And I pursue you in the morning and I pursue you right now and I pursue you in the night. Pray. How do we do this spiritually? You ready? Write this down if you haven't taken any notes, please. This is how we do it spiritually. Number one, many, if you're like me, will buck up to this first one. We repent. Repent of what? I haven't done jack. We repent because we are so far away. I am guilty of trying to make things happen for me. Me. We repent and we say, God, I'm sorry. I struggle with that. The other night, Poi and I were playing a card game and some ridiculous issue came up. Ridiculous. If I told you, you would laugh. We were having a great time laughing and hugging and playing cards and having a drink. It was beautiful. A ridiculous thing came up. And I automatically shut down. And I said, 
I can either say something about it or I can walk away from it. And so sad that I chose to walk away from it. Instead of looking at it and say, you know what? I'm sorry. This holds no weight. And we'll laugh about it right now. It holds no weight. It's not significant. But everything in us, if you're like me, most of you may not be as jacked up as Poyo. But I could have just looked at it and said, you know what, sweetie? I'm sorry. It just means nothing. Hit me again. But no. I chose to keep it right here. We have to learn to repent. God, I know you have me in a season. God, I know you're at work. God, I know that I've attempted so many times to take things into my own hand. You ready? This is what you do. Sorry. And he says, boom, I'm faithful and just to forgive. And I love you. And I pursue you. We believe. We believe. He says, I've got you in a season. And what I want to give you, nobody can take it away from We believe it. But I don't see any sign of it right now. We believe that he is good. We believe that he wants to. What else do we do? We go to two again. (laughs) And we wait. We wait. The seed is planted. Right? He's watering. Stuff is happening underground that you and I cannot see. That's tough. But we wait. We trust that being obsessed with the process, as Nick Saban said, is more important than accomplishing and grabbing and grasping. Be obsessed with the process of becoming more like him. The people would see you and say, that's out of the ordinary. Looks like Jesus. She is generous like Jesus. He puts the needs of others before himself like Jesus. That doesn't make sense. And culture will automatically start to say, something different there. That's a good different. And one of my favorite things is we are important. We remember the importance that Jesus' work is infinitely greater than our work. I'm going to say that again. We remember that there is no manufacturing that you and I can do that is more important or that will impress Jesus. You know what that allows us to do? Take the weight off of our shoulders, lay it at his feet, and he says, I've got you covered. Be obsessed with what he's doing in us daily. Don't try so hard to manufacture what he's doing. Say, I trust what you're doing. Slay the dragon of self. Rest, let go of some stuff. Pray, repent, say, I trust where you're taking me because you're a good father, a very good father. So Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing here this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives personally. We repent of the times when we've tried so hard to make it happen on our own, which are countless for me at least. Give me the strength to believe that the seed is planted, that you are working, that things are happening, and that in due season it will come. Thank you because you are our hope, because we have promises from you, and you never, ever fail. So in your son's name we pray. Amen.